Hey guys, of course, as always, this podcast is brought to you by bzgear.net. If you guys want to go over there, check out some of the apparel and accessories that we offer. Um, It is a very good way to support the podcast. Uh, Give us some feedback, maybe some designs you guys would like to see. Again, that is www.bzgear.net. I know it's been a while since uh, we've uploaded a podcast, but uh, things have been really ramping up on the ship, and and I've just been really busy lately in between college and and work. But I have a couple guests lined up for the next few weeks, so hopefully we will be back to our uh, once-a-week podcast, or once-a-week upload, rather. On this week's episode, we have Lieutenant Commander Selby. Um, I I found her uh, on Instagram through a mutual friend. Um, She is a flight naval nurse uh, currently serving with the Marines, um, but she has a long, extensive uh, um, service in the Navy. Uh, She's been here for 23 years, started out as an enlisted service member, uh, as a SAR corpsman um, back in the mid-90s, and and she's kind of been grinding out uh, with the the flight medicine and and kind of a uh, subject matter expert in the field. Um, then she went on to nursing school, which she obviously gained her commission afterwards. Um, and she's still been doing the same thing, um, even after being commissioned. So, uh, this is a good episode. Um, some, we kind of went through her career a little bit. She told us some sea stories, uh, and we also got into some other things about the Corman rating and, and different paths you can take. Um, so there's definitely a lot of education, um, points that, that can be uh, taken from this uh, podcast as well. Some good stories. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, as much as I did. Thanks for listening. So, um, <laughs> I just kind of like to start out, um, kind of, kind of just have you tell your story from, from start to finish. Um, but I always like to kind of get a feel for, uh, you know, um, what life was like for you, you know, before the Navy, where you're from, you know, any sports in high school, things like that. And, and kind of what even made you, uh, go into the Navy. So before the Navy, which is all of my adult life, so this is all pre-18 years old, <laughs> I, I grew up, um, my dad was Air Force, so we were, we moved around a little bit. Um, I grew, I, the places I remember are North Dakota, Nebraska, and then he finally retired in Las Vegas. So I spent most of my childhood in Vegas because I was eight years old when he uh, retired. Okay. Um. So, which is an interesting place to, to be raised as a child, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, we have, you know, I have my mom, my dad, um, I have an older brother and it was just the four of us. And I, my sport was tennis. My parents got me into that when I was really young and I played throughout most of my childhood and played juniors and was ranked at one point. Um, and thought that kind of was the path I was going to go on and, you know, the whole college and professional and that whole thing. And when I got into high school, I sort of maybe mixed with the wrong crowd for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And with that, I kind of um, just, you know, the things that used to be important weren't as as important anymore. And my grades ended up you know, kind of falling, and I got kicked off the tennis team because of my grades. <laughs> so, I I actually found myself. It's I, I that was my my sophomore year was the worst, and I don't I was just kind of into I guess going out with my friends all the time and doing that whole thing and just lost sight of what was important. And I started recovering. I would say like my junior year, 
um, and into my senior year, but I kind of already ruined that whole, like, the tennis thing, because if you're not playing your sport constantly the whole time, then, you know, it's, you're not going to be good enough to go to, to college or anything else. So I found myself, um, it was my senior year, and I had, I really didn't have a lot of direction as far as what you're supposed to do. So, you know, if you're going to go to college, you start applying in the fall of your senior year, you take your SATs. I didn't do any of that. <laughs> so by the end of my senior, like the second semester of my senior year, I kind of realized um, I really have no where to go after this. And my dad was very adamant about, you know, you when you turn 18, you, you go on with your life. So <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> You're not going to live here and do nothing. So um, my brother had joined the Navy three years before me, and when I realized I really didn't have anything and didn't know where to go, I thought, well, I guess this is the way I'm going to go, too. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of sums up how I ended up in the Navy. <laughs> so did, um, did your, was your dad trying to like push you at Air Force at all, or, or he just kind of wanted you to, to just do something? My dad actually had told us, like, you know, I don't want you guys ever joining the military just because he, I mean, he, he had a good career, but he didn't like the politics behind it and, and whatever. Right. So he was very adamant about, you know, go to college and his thing with both of us, because my brother played tennis and he played, he also played baseball and some other sports, but he really wanted us to, to follow the whole tennis thing. Cause my dad fell in love with that sport a, a while ago. Um, and we both kind of did the same path where my brother is sort of like, started running with the wrong crowd and, you know, lost sight of that. And, you know, he ended up in the Navy and then here I come along and do the same thing. So my dad, I think, you know, his number one wish was that we became, you know, even better in that sport, go to college. Um, but I think ultimately he wanted us to at least go to college and, you know, get a good degree and get a job, whatever. So I, there's there are a lot of conversations with him now looking back on everything and I think there was a lot of miscommunication you know when you're younger and you're a kid you don't really have the best communication with your parents right so and, and you think you know everything too <laughs> yeah you think you know everything and then there are a lot of assumptions made I thought he was just like get out of my house when you're 18 and he's like I never really said that I just you know I wanted you guys to have a focus or whatever <laughs> it was just like well I didn't know that so <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I literally went to a recruiter one day signed up you know, was at MEPS within, um, I don't know, a few weeks after that. And so I, he, he was not happy about that, but I just, I knew I didn't want to sit at home either. He didn't want me home and I, I wanted to spread my wings somehow. And that just seemed the best way to do it at the time. So, <laughs> so, so did you like kind of, uh, have, have a conversation with your brother at all to, to kind of see like what you're, you know, somewhat getting into? Cause you said he was in the Navy, right? Yeah, he was. He was in electron, electronic warfare, um, and we talked about it a little bit. We, He and I, um, growing up, we didn't – I think our, our age difference was so much – because we're three and a half years apart, and so we never were in the same school together because by the time he graduated high school is when I started. Um, so we didn't really have the best communication back then. I, we did talk about it, but, you know, he kind of – you know, his was like – had – already been in for three years you know was like you know it's, it's not easy for women <laughs> that type of thing because it was back in the 90s um so he was I think a little bit more concerned for me but 
he also knows I'm pretty headstrong when I make a decision, I do it. So, I, but I, I did know, like, I didn't want to do what he was doing. So, um, I was thinking more, I actually initially joined as a AW rescue swimmer was my initial contract. And when I was in boot camp, you have to do the, um, the PT test or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was, I didn't work out. <laughs> I was like this tiny, you know, bug 10 girl that just was like, Oh yeah, I should be able to do all these pushups. And yeah, that didn't work out very well. So, um, I ended up recontracting or re, uh, detailing to, I can't even remember the word, but I, I renegotiated for HM, which is what I wanted originally, but it wasn't available when I first signed up. So it actually ended up working out well. <laughs> so, so you, uh, when, um, kind of take me through like the process of how it was to like to join the military, because now we have something called like delay entry program. Um, mm-hmm. it, was it like similar back then to where you kind of had to wait like months in between going to MEPS and being able to leave for boot camp, or, or was it like a, ma- a much faster process back then? No, it was the same thing because I, I joined, it was, it was delayed entry. Um, oh, okay. I joined while I was still in school, and then I actually wasn't leaving until October of that. So I graduated in May, and then didn't leave for the boot camp until October. So um, I had the whole summer, and I was doing the whole whatever, you you know, you report to your, your recruiter, I don't was it once a week or something like that. So, right. um, yeah, I, this was, it was the same thing back then. Okay. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. Were you, um like, interested in swimming at all? Because how you said you mentioned, you know, you were coming in as a rescue swimmer, and then obviously later on in your career you, you definitely do some – uh, rescue yeah, swimming type of one, things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, I mean, I, I wasn't like a competitive swimmer, but I, I pretty much grew up in a pool and I swam all the time. So it's very comfortable in the water. Um, yeah, I guess you can I, swim year round in Vegas, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the little neighborhood that we lived in, we had a, a community pool. So we were always in the, the pool all the time. So, and my dad, he was a lifeguard. So he taught us how to swim as soon as we were able to, I mean, even before I could walk, I think there's a picture of me in the pool as a baby. So um, he was very uh, proactive in making sure that we both knew how to swim and knew how to, knew the techniques of all the strokes and everything. So, yeah, I just thought, oh, sure. I, I, I'm a I'm a big dreamer, and I, I always think, like, I put myself in very interesting situations because I think, you know, my, my mind sort of is like, yeah, I can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, I find out quickly that oh, this wasn't the best idea. But <laughs> so this is like um, the uh, the like mid '90s when when you leave for boot camp. Yep, 1995. 95. So graduated in '95 in May, and then was in boot camp in October. And then you went to uh, core school was up in Great Lakes, right? Yes. So I actually it was right before they closed San Diego, um, and I had asked to go to San Diego because I was from the West Coast and. Uh, they're like, no, you're going to go to, to Great Lakes, so you're going to walk across this. I went to boot camp in Great Lakes, so <laughs> just walked across the street. <clears throat> so what, do you have any kind of, um, like, memorable moments? Like, like even in boot camp, um, you know, I know you kind of, you said, you, like, you kind of talked to your brother a little bit about the Navy, but um, was there any, like, kind of, uh, sur- not surreal moments, but um, eye-opening moments kind of in, in boot camp, A school, to kind of like, whoa, like, you know, everyone has, like, you know, I wasn't expecting it to be like this or what I get myself into, you know, everyone kind of has like those moments. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't because we did talk about boot camp in the process and 
you know, what it was going to be like. And I, so I had a good idea of what I was getting into. I, I really don't, um, it's funny. I think I was the only girl in my entire division that didn't cry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the most emotional type, so it's, I'm very much like go with the flow type of person. So I knew it wasn't going to be easy and, you know, people were going to be screaming at me and, you know, just, and my brother's advice was just do what they tell you. You know, he was like, mm-hmm. Don't like fly under the radar. Don't be known good or bad. <laughs> just kind of just stay in the middle of the pack and, you know, do what you're told and it'll be fine. And that's kind of how it is, you know. Yes, it's it's sort of a culture shock at first, especially if you're, you know, I don't know, used to being coddled, I guess, right. <laughs> which I wasn't. So my dad was not the biggest, like, you know, coddler. So, um I, I was fine, and I actually ended up being um, like part of the leadership, and um, not like the our pack or pack, but I was, you know, one of the people that had like I don't even remember what like the yeoman. Like, that really like it, it wasn't the yeoman, but it was like I don't remember exactly <laughs> what it was. <laughs> I honestly don't. I think I held one of the it's 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 twenty three years. So <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Um, but the RDCs definitely knew who I was, <laughs> so I didn't do very good with, with flying into the radar. But um, I do remember, like, the first – you know how you're um, you're in the open bay, right, and you have your, your bunks or whatever, and mm-hmm. they have the inspections, and they mm-hmm. look over your footlocker? And mine was always perfect. Like, I just – because, again, if you just – I'm not special. I'm not smarter than anybody else. But if you follow directions, it's really right. easy. Yep. <laughs> so when they tell you how to fold clothes, fold it the way they tell you. Right. <laughs> it's just not – this isn't, you know, brain surgery. So I my I never got any hits, but I always got in trouble. And I couldn't figure it out until a few – you know, a few more inspections down the road. It was like, why are all your bunkmates wrong? And I was just like, I don't know, because they're idiots. <laughs> like, I, you know, we're all adults here. And he was like, until they're right, you're gonna, you know, you're all gonna pay for it. And so right. I realized, oh, okay, that's when that whole teamwork and you know, like one fix team, your one freaking people type of thing. Exactly. So then I started, you know, okay, guys, like, where are we going wrong here? <laughs> I'm tired of being in the push-up position. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it, you know, you learn that whole that transition from being independent to being part of a team, and and I finally got it. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, but you know, there's sometimes you can't really fix stupid. You know? Right. <laughs> yep. Like these people aren't getting it. So <laughs> yeah, you can't fix somebody if Sorry. they don't want to be fixed. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like it's again, this isn't hard. They aren't asking you for a lot. You know, it's just you're folding a T-shirt. Like, why is this so difficult? So, you know, maybe you are not in the right business here. <laughs> you can't fold a T-shirt. So, anyway. Were you, were you in like a? Because uh, I know again when I I went through in 2012, so obviously a little bit later. But um, did they have like integrated divisions back then, or was it just all female? So we were we were all female in my division, but we had a brother company, and so a lot of times um, we would march with them and, and go to chow with them and that whole thing. So you guys so, would be like, and I, I think when we, I'm sorry, oh, so you guys would like be together like throughout the day, but when you went back to like your compartments, you guys would separate. Yes, exactly. 
So and then, so what was core school like in Great Lakes? Because because again, I you know I went through down in San Antonio, so everyone always tells me how much oh, okay. how much better Great Lakes was and and stuff like oh, that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I. <laughs> Core school was cold. I mean, it was all cold. I went in the wrong, wrong time. Um, <laughs> but it, I don't know. Like, we, I thought we had the most freedom of all the A schools. So, because I remember graduating boot camp, I think it was a Friday, and we walked over across the street, reported, and they had us on the bleachers, and they were saying, okay, you've got the weekend to yourself. And it was like, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what do I like do? You can go where, yeah, you can go wherever you want. You could, we could leave for the whole weekend and not come back until Monday morning if we didn't want to. Like, we didn't have a curfew. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was interesting. So, you know, going from boot camp to like, all right, you're good. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so uh, that was a little bit of a shock. But, um, you know, we automatically were able to wear civilian clothes. And I guess all the other A schools had to, like, earn that or whatever. So, that was that was kind of cool to, to sort of regain some of that independence. Um, the curriculum, I don't know. Like, I'm not I haven't quite followed all the changes. We did have integrated the EMT program into our core school, so mm-hmm. we didn't get certified out of core school, but we could take a refresher and then take the test right away. Oh, okay. Um, it's still pretty similar so that to was, that. Yeah, I know. There was some period between me and now where they they tried some computer-based core school thing where you just did everything on the computers which i thought was fascinating so oh, it, it, <laughs> um, it was like a self-paced kind of thing i believe yeah yep. and that's that's the not smartest thing that i've I have more colored words for that, but <laughs> I'll keep it G-rated. Um, yeah, that was that was not smart because we were getting those guys from the or into the fleet from the from core school, and these you know they couldn't even take a blood pressure appropriately. So right. um, we the fleet started reporting back like what in the world is going. It was like that along with the um, the safe card or something, <laughs> some card in boot camp where you could pull your card out and like you'd have to. You know, that was like training timeout type of thing, I think. And so oh, some of wow. these sailors were going to the fleet and like the chief would yell at them and they would pull their card out. <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> so, yeah, there was a couple of things that were just a little wonky with, with that. And I, I think they went away. <laughs> so that's good. But, um, no, I think core school was, you know, it was 14 weeks. I was part of the color guard. I love color guard. So I you know, drilled with my, my color guard team every day after school and this, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just love that. So, um, that was probably one of my highlights of that, but yeah, it was just, have you, you know, um, learning. have you been down to the core school at all? The new one in San Antonio or, or know anything about it down there? Or? I, I've heard a lot about it. Um, no, I actually haven't been there. Mm-hmm. I, I actually visit San Antonio a lot with different committees and meetings, but, um, no, I haven't actually seen it. I know there was a separate, like, I think at some point you guys were with Air Force, and now you've decided to, not you, but the Navy mm-hmm. decided to um, separate so, from the Air Force, so. Yeah, because we had to, so, uh, even as recently, uh, as like I said, I, I went through in uh, January of 2016, mm-hmm. and we actually, um, we were still with Air Force. We were, like, in the same classes and everything. The only difference was, again, with the EMT stuff, I guess the like Air Force version of corpsmen, um, they actually have to be EMT nationally certified. So mm-hmm. when when they would go, we would go through the the course together, 
and then when they would go to do their week to take the test <clears throat> we would break off and go do like Corman manual stuff for like a week yeah and so here lies the problem with that I have with the Navy <laughs> is that you know you have a, a, a branch that you're going to school with that is getting certified as an ENT and we decide against it mm-hmm. like that that makes absolutely no sense to me and I think we oftentimes are doing a disservice to the Corman by not certifying them appropriately <laughs> and and keeping up with that standard so, so I could go on forever with that topic but I won't so <laughs> did you do any kind of uh, um, C school out of A school or, or did you just stay quad zero so I was quad zero at my first duty station I went to a clinic in near Pensacola it was down the street from Pensacola and um, did that for two years I think which was you know typical clinic stuff so we kind of however the difference back then was is that we were EMTs and we uh, had a stand duty so we used to have ambulances and um, and that was like that was Navy wide the hospitals had an ambulance the clinics had ambulances and we would we would respond on base to oh, all wow. the calls. yeah hmm. so um, again, one of those things when they got rid of that was was not happy about that because you know as far as you know what are corpsmen really ultimately especially if you go with the Marines or if you're on a ship or whatever you're you're pre-hospital. Right. <laughs> so why are we not giving you guys that experience? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that like because that helped me a lot when I was part of the ambulance crew. You know, you're going out there, you're doing your assessments, you're doing all that stuff, and then bringing them back so I think we lost a huge asset with that when, when whoever made the decision to do away with the EMT program yeah that I mean that's definitely something that would be nice because like you said you're, you're gonna you're always out there uh, in, in a real life situation kind of practicing your skills mm-hmm. um, yeah it's definitely something that I, I didn't even know that that they had that actually <laughs> yep it went away I think I want to say late 90s um, into 2000s but if you talk to anybody who's been around you know in that time frame they we all we all stood ENT duty <laughs> in 24 hour duties so oh, um, wow and you yeah. said and that was at a, at a you at a clinic you did that also you said mm-hmm. yep oh, we were wow. at a branch clinic so we were we were the only medical on that base it was a little base off of Pensacola um, Whiting Field so it was like a naval air station but because we were we didn't have a hospital like Pensacola Hospital was you know 30 minutes away they had their own ambulance crews we had our ambulance crews so we responded to anything on base um, and we had like a lot of you know like any any base we had like the softball fields and like sports and all that so anybody got hurt we got we responded to that pediatrics adults anybody so oh wow hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah my uh, my duty day at the clinic was uh, I was at the clinic in Kings Bay at the on the mm-hmm. submarine base and our duty day was to drive the labs at noon down to the hospital in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And and how does that help you when you go out with the Marines? You know right. what I mean? So yep. it's like that's this is the big, big problem. And and I'm a huge advocate with, you know, uh, let's train our equipment appropriately. Like, <laughs> you know, it's we tr- it seems and again, I don't know the whole curriculum of course school, but I feel like it's geared more towards clinics and hospitals and, you know, that type yeah. of thing, and it shouldn't be. It needs to be, you know, if, if you go greenside right off the bat, especially during, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq, you're right. going out to, you're going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you may have, have never touched a patient before or seen trauma or anything. The first time you see trauma is when your guy gets blown up. Like, that's, right. that's not okay. So, 
Yeah, I know. Um, um, recently, like right before I I left the clinic, uh, late last year, they they like implemented the um. You're familiar with T Triple C? Yes. Uh, they like they implemented that to being uh, everyone had to have gone through it, which still isn't isn't a real life situation, but you know at least right. It's, uh, <laughs> right. Um, seems like they're trying to move back in the right direction. Hopefully. <laughs> they are. They're just. They're not moving fast enough, especially for me. <laughs> I don't know if you know. So a lot of like my Instagram posts are very. Um, I'm. I'm doing a lot of challenging with the Navy just because I, you know, I've been involved in a lot of committees and working groups, and I don't feel like they're working fast enough, and that's not okay with me. So, um, I, I would definitely agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so are you, like, are you still in the Navy? Because like you said, I see you uh-huh. doing. Okay. I, I, yeah. I, okay. <laughs> Um, yes, I am. Um, yeah. So, okay. So leading, so from being a quad zero, I decided, okay, this is really boring. <laughs> I want to do more. Um, I never quite shook the whole helicopter thing. So I kind of was like, okay, how do I get back to that route? Like I, I started doing pushups. <laughs> I started commissioning myself and I heard about search and rescue corpsmen, which still to this day is not very known, which is mind boggling to me. But um, somehow I caught wind of it and I asked my career counselor about it and she says, there's no females in that, you can't do it. So I look at the instruction again and I said, there's nowhere on here that says females can't do it. So, you know, if you look at like seals or whatever, it says, you know, no females. And I'm like, it doesn't say that here. And she was like, well, there's no females doing it. And I said, well, no females doing it and no females allowed to do it are two different things. So can you, and this is where when I'm, when I'm um, mentoring people, I don't take no for an answer because a lot of times these people don't know what they're talking about. So unless you see it black and white, don't, don't just take, you know, yes. And she was a first class, so she should have known, right. right? And she's mm-hmm. a career counselor on top of this, so she should have really known the ins and outs of that or at least done her research, and she didn't. And so, again, you know, I'm, I'm just a HN at the time. I may have been an H. No, I was an HM3 at the time. Um, so I made HM3 at my first command. But, you know, it's still an HM3 to an HM1. It's, it's pretty normal to just say, oh, well, my HM1 said this, so it's probably right, you know, which is, that, that's normal behavior. You, you would assume that your senior leadership knows what they're talking about, but... In my experiences, that's not always the case, so I always tell people, make sure you actually see that in writing, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I kept saying, I kept challenging her, and I said, I, I don't see where it says no female. Can you please check this? And so she did. She went back and did her research like she should have in the first place, <laughs> and she comes back and she's like, oh my God, like, you're right. You can you can join, but there's there are no females doing this. <laughs> so it's kind of like that warning, like, you know, be careful what you're asking for. Right. Um, which again, you know, I'm very idealistic. So I was like, oh yeah, no problem. I'll figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> so I apply and I got accepted. And the first thing was, was air crew school, which wasn't too bad, but it definitely, you know, I thought I was like working out and, and getting myself in shape. And, and that was a rude awakening that like, no, you still got work to do. <laughs> so um, that was four weeks of a lot of physical activity and swimming and and, you know, air crew, survival, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then at the time for Star Corman, you went to your first duty station right after air crew school. So there wasn't the pipeline there is now. Okay. So like right now you would go to flight medic school in Pensacola and then you go to SEER school and then you would um, go to the training squadron and then you'd go to your command. 
so there's a lot more steps now than there was back then. I reported directly to my first command, um, which was China Lake in California. And it was an overland SAR command. So that being, we didn't have rescue swimmers because we weren't over water. If you're over water in the helicopter, if there's a survivor, the rescue swimmer who's usually an AW will jump and go and get the survivor. And then the, the corpsman stays in the helicopter. Okay. Over land, it's different. We actually go down and get the survivor <laughs> or the patient. Um, I didn't I didn't know this. <laughs> I thought, like, oh, yeah, I'll be in the helicopter. I'm, I'm definitely terrified of heights. I know that's probably not very apparent on my Instagram. <laughs> but I am terrified of heights. And I, I report to my command, and my the HMT there was like, okay, we're sending you to repel school. And I was like, why? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> and he's like, well, over land, we go down, and we have to repel. We have to be repel certified. And I go, no, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't really buy into that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, you either go or you lose your NEC. And I'm like, uh, okay, I guess I'm going. So um, went to Pendleton to do my repel stuff, and the first one's out of the tower. I think I shook that entire tower the whole time I had. There was some senior chief down there that was like, just freaking go. So finally ended up going, and then I realized, oh, I actually kind of like this. So, um, you know, got up in the helicopter, and it was fine from there and, and got qualified. So everything, it's a syllabus, or it was a syllabus once I got to my first command. So I had a repel uh, qualification. Then I had this whole um, air crew qualification I had to do, and then... Um, the SAR med tech portion of it, the medical portion. So it was about eight months for me to get qualified, um, along with you had to have a certain amount of hours in the, the helicopter. So um, very, very challenging, <laughs> but I love challenges. So I, I think it's the best job in the world. Like if you're a corpsman and you like being out there and you like flying, then it's it's awesome. <laughs> so is it but, is that... um. Because I'm kind of going back to what you said, you are right. Like SAR Corman is it? It's like it's like a hidden like like it's a hidden thing. Like no one knows anything about it. I've like right. I've I've reached out like on some like Facebook pages and um, cause it's something that I was kind of inter I'm kind of interested in looking into, and mm -hmm. like just no one could get like I couldn't get any information on it like at all. Like everyone I was getting like conflicting stories and so yeah uh, <laughs> so so this is the thing with SAR Corman. do not listen to anybody who is not a SAR Corman <laughs> because <laughs> I've heard so many stories with you know like oh well, I heard this and I heard that and then they just keep carrying that along like oh I heard this from somebody so then they say they heard something it's like the telephone game I right. mean by the time it gets to the person it's not even close to what it is um, so my advice is, first of all, if that's what you want to do, then do it because they are hurting so badly for people and you're pretty much, you know, if you can pass the class through flight physical, you're, you're in. Like it's, you know, it, they're 50, 50 or 60% manned right now. So, oh, wow. um, if you're a good candidate, then your, your package will be approved. Right. Um, what do they do? So, so they do a lot of, it's a very big mix of, um, kind of what you've heard, you know, flight medics in the army and the PJs. It's kind of somewhere in between that. Okay. They do, they're part of the crew, they're crewmen, they're air crewmen, they wear air crew wings. Um, they can make calls to the pilot, that whole thing. And then they have the medical part where, you know, it ranges anywhere from point of injury to critical care transports. So, um, they do it all. Like it's it, it is a hidden gem. Like it's it's 
pretty surprising that it's still <laughs> a low visibility as far as like what people know about him. Is it like but, a blue? Is it like a blue side, green side kind of thing, or is it just? Is it just all? Um, it used to be blue side, green side, but the green side got rid of their billets. But now they are considering taking them back because in route care is a huge push right now. It's very high visibility. It's a much needed skill set, and the I think the Marines realize, okay, we kind of screwed up getting rid of those billets. So that's kind of in the talks again to to get those billets back. But as of now, you would be stationed either at a station SAR, so like Lemoore, China Lake, Fallon, Whidbey Island. Whidbey Island's, I think, the busiest because um, they do all the mountain rescues and uh, like just crazy stuff. If you ever look at their page, it's just insane what they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you also go, you attach to a squadron. Um, if you're not at a station SAR, you'll attach to a squadron, and then you'll go on deployments uh, with the whatever squadron you're with. So... So you yeah. did you did this right after your first command? I did it right after my first command. Um, I was at China Lake, so I was a station SAR. Okay. Um, and then you know got qualified with the whole mountain rescue thing. Uh, my second duty station as a SAR corpsman was rescue summer school. So again, I was like I couldn't <laughs> let go of what I had initially signed up for. Um, when you're a SAR and this is the other myth, when you're a SAR corpsman, you don't have to be a rescue swimmer. Because if you're over water, the rescue swimmers are the ones who go down. So you don't, that's not part of the okay. pipeline is to be a rescue swimmer. If you want to be a rescue swimmer, um, you would actually have to, like, you know, apply to it. Or if you're stationed at one of the schoolhouses, you can go through it. Okay. So, um, yeah, That's yeah, definitely something that was confusing. Because, like, because uh, yeah. on, on the ship right now, like, we have, uh, we had to send some people to SAR school for, like, right. SAR, for SAR swimmers. Um, yeah. I, I was actually trying to go, but. Being a corpsman, I'm not allowed to go. <laughs> Which is, uh, being you, on a... you you are actually allowed to go. Um, if you wanted to, you can go. We had several corpsmen go corpsmen go through. Um, the the big thing with that, so every ship, uh, the star swimmer, so that's surface star swimmer, and then there is aviation star swimmers. Okay. So and it's... it's actually the same curriculum, other than the aviators get another piece of it where they have to uh, deploy out of the the helicopter. So, but everything up to that point. So that the SAR, the surface SAR, concentrate more on the rib boats and that type of thing because right. that's what they're dealing more with the boats, whereas the aviators do the helicopter thing. So that's kind of where it branches off. But they still have the same exact curriculum leading up to that point. So, same same qualification, in other words. So um, when you're, um, so when you were stationed at uh, China Lake, right? You said it was was that first your first mm -hmm. station? Um, yeah. What was, uh, do you remember like the, you know, the first call you ever went on or? Um, what, honestly, like we didn't have a lot of business because we were, we were working, um, competing maybe, I guess. So Fallon, Lemoore and China Lake are kind of all in the same area. So anytime there was a call, like everybody went running for the helicopter <laughs> to try to get there first. And we sort of are more south than them. So we... Um, where the mountains are, because you, the most of the calls up there, if it wasn't something that pertained to the base, it would be the lost hikers or uh, aircraft that that crashed in the mountains and that type of thing. So we did battery recoveries, um, but as far as like lost, I think I had like only a couple of calls that we actually got to. Oh, so you um, you would actually go to like civilian calls as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, and so this is my, you know, part two of my frustration with the whole certification process is that we as our corpsmen that respond to civilians, 
and they don't even they don't even have ENT anymore. Back in the day, I had to be ENT qualified to even apply for the C school. Mm-hmm. Whereas now they don't have to be EMT. So now you have these corpsmen who respond to civilians, and they don't even have an ENT certification or paramedic certification. A lot of the guys get it on their own, but it is not part of the standard pipeline. So that's where I'm, you know, it's very frustrating for me and a lot of the guys in the community, and I still talk to them all the time, um, is that, and, and one of my things, if you if you ever, like, kind of look at my posts is, you know, corpsmen should not be spending money out of their pocket to get the appropriate training, and that's what's happening right now. So um, they absolutely 100% should be paramedic certified. Every other flying entity in every other branch is paramedic. Why are we not? You know what I mean? Right. Um, because they do. They respond to civilian casualties. So, you know, technically, <laughs> you should have a civilian certification <laughs> if you're handling civilians. But, um, yeah. So yeah, that's I feel like, God forbid, if something went wrong, like, I feel like that could get a little hairy. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Huh. It could, but ultimately, how to get away with it is that they're they're operating under the physician's license. Um, which is a flight surgeon, which is nine times out of ten a general medical officer who doesn't have a lot of training right. and probably doesn't realize what they're putting their license on, you know, like the line that they're putting it on. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it is a very broken system, and I will say it out loud. I don't even care at this point. Uh, <laughs> it needs to be fixed. And, <laughs> yeah, I've, 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 my post of recent have definitely been, you know, the audience I'm shooting for is, you know, big baby. Like, hey, pull your head out of your ass. So, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so if, as far as, like, my first calls, I, I remember I did a couple of hikers. Um, none of them were, like, bad off. Um, but you do always get that, you know, and looking back, especially now that I have a lot more experience, a lot more education, Looking back on that is, you know, I, I honestly, I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> so if I had a, a really serious patient, um, I don't know. I don't know how that would have gone down. Um, point of injury is really, it's kind of simple, right? With trauma, is it's tourniquets, it's stopping bleeding, reinfusing if you can, um, getting them to the next echelon of care. So that's kind of what we do. That's kind of what the star women do. But nowadays, um, they've kind of crossed over into that realm of critical care, especially with a lot of these advanced providers are pushed forward. So um, I don't know if you've heard of like the DCS teams and ERSS and then even your, your special operators are equipped with a lot of knowledge to do advanced skills. Mm-hmm. So if you can't transport what they've already done, then that's a, that's a problem. And that's one of the things, one of the... the uh, problems I guess, <laughs> I'm working on with a lot of my, my committees that I'm on. So um, when I, you know, for the Marine Corps, we have, if you've heard of shock trauma platoons yes. and the, the frisses, right? So mm-hmm. these are surgeons, these are ER doctors that are pushed far forward. You know, we were, when I was in Afghanistan, we were 30 minutes from wherever the hotspots were. And so we were getting these patients and we're resuscitating them, we're taking them to surgery. Well, when they come out of that, they're on ventilators, they're on blood, they're on drips. You have to keep them sedated, you, have, you know, paralyzed if that's your option. Um, when I have a general corpsman coming to pick that patient up, and this is the problem we ran into time and time out in Afghanistan and Iraq, 
you know, we were using a lot of the desktop guys, and at the time they weren't paramedic certified, so they come in, they're an ENTB, and they look at this patient, they're like, I don't do any of that. You know, they don't run vents, they don't know how to troubleshoot a vent, they don't do invasive medications, they don't do blood, they don't do any of that. So the nurse would have to get on the back of the helicopter who's not trained to be on the helicopter and transfer that patient. So it was, it was just a big mess. And, and the reality of it is we haven't figured it out yet. Like we're still in this, <laughs> this whole like the Navy and the Marine Corps again are, are in this, this situation where, you know, we have not trained people appropriately for that mission. And that's more common than your point of injury at this day and age. Do, do you so, think maybe um... – it seems like we're the only branch that just like we just have corpsmen like uh like army and air force seem like they break it up a lot a lot more i mean granted we have like our necs but but like they have total different like pipelines from from what i understand based on like what kind of medical um field they're going into do you think maybe like switching to something like that would, would maybe benefit us a little bit more or um, I think definitely for, you know, some of our specialties like x-ray or lab, like they definitely have their schools that teach them how to do that. Right. Um, I think, you know, with a lot of the specialties, the training is good, but when it comes to, uh, with the bulk of what we do, which is pre-hospital, you know, we're not close to it. So the problem with the flying part of it is there's no actual designation, like, or, or it's, there's no designated medical asset for the Navy and Marine Corps. So the Army has desktop. That is a designated medical asset. That's that's their sole purpose in life is medevacs, right? Mm-hmm. The Air Force has their CCAT teams and they have PJs, and that's their purpose in life is medical missions. They're you know they're helicopter right from the helicopter everybody that's you know they're there to rescue people. <laughs> The Navy has what we call a lift of opportunity. So we may have people who are designated to be medical personnel, but there's no, like, this is your helicopter. This this whole system is designed around medicine. If I, you know, if for me, if I have a patient, I have to call in the nine line, and whatever is just around and available is going to come get me. But that, that, that helicopter could be, you know, designated for supplies or troop transport or whatever. It's not designated for medical. So when I bring my patient on board, I have to have everything I need on my back. So that's the problem is that we don't have like actual doctrine as far as the the flying part of it goes. And that's, again, what a lot of people are trying to work on Mm -hmm. is to make that an actual uh, like platform, you know, system, whatever, that we do medevacs. And then with that comes you know, your designated helicopters and supplies and et cetera. So, um, that's a good, I never really thought about it. Like even down to like the, the air platform itself, like how we don't even, how, like you said, yeah. Like we, yeah. Oh, that's it's good... very complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it's very complicated. <laughs> but, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so I know we kind of jumped ahead a little bit. We started talking about like, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, but one, one question I, I, I like to ask to people, um, I've had a couple corpsmen on here that, that enlisted, you know, pre nine eleven. Um, but I, I always kind of like to ask like, what, um, were some of the, the things that like you, um, felt noticed, like just on like the, pretty much the day after the attacks, like, like what, um, like whatever command you were at, like, like how, like what was the changes like in the atmosphere and, and stuff like oh, that? Oh, so 
I was I was at Rusty Summer School. So I, I went from Tenna Lake to Rusty Summer School at 32nd Street. I was an instructor there. Um, That's San Diego, right? Or... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, San Diego. Yeah. So we – I actually woke up that morning. I was getting ready. had my TV on, the news, and I watched the second one because the first one had just flown into the building. And everybody is, like, utter confusion. Like, what right. – everyone – initially, they said it was a, a smaller plane. Right. Um, like, a charter plane or whatever. Um, so, it was like, oh, my God, you know, this plane, like, just accident. It was, you know, assumed that it was an accident, whatever. Right. And as you're watching the news, you watch you see this other plane coming around the corner and head right into the second building. It was like, uh – I just remember thinking, like, okay, that's really bad, like – luck <laughs> like are these pilots like smoking something like what's going on here um and then it was quickly like this is not an accident this is very intentional so it i was like i need to get to work so rushed through getting ready get to work we kind of started like a normal day i don't remember which day in our training we were in but we had the students i remember i was driving the van and um then all of a sudden it was like everybody get back to the office and we get back there they're like all essential personnel need to go, go home, or all non-essential essential personnel need to go home. Um, they shut down, and it was uh, ThreatCon Delta, I think it was. It's like the only time they've gone to that. And what that means is they shut all the gates. All non-essential goes home. So if you're not on duty, you go home. Oh. And at the time, I had my oldest daughter, and she was she was at daycare on a different base. So once we find, kind of figured out the logistics, students go back to your barracks, don't move, don't leave. Um, all of us are going home. I had to go pick up my daughter. Well, they shut all the gates at that point, so I couldn't drive onto base. I had it all. It was like it was very confusing. So all of the parents had to park off base, and we had to walk. Well, daycare wasn't right at the gate, so we all had to walk all the way through the base, oh, wow. get our kids, walk all the way back. Yeah, they didn't have anything. Like there was no transport set up for us. Luckily, I just had one little child, um, but some of these parents had multiple children, and they're trying to, like, carry them. They didn't bring their strollers because they're used to bringing their car up to the, you know, the front and whatever. So we're all trying to just help each other um, get from the daycare to the, the front of the base. But they shut it down, and then there were so many reports coming. There was, like, there's planes all in the sky. They're all going <laughs> into buildings. At one point, yeah. it was, like, there's planes in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> right, yeah. crashing. There's some on the way to Los Angeles. We were just like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what is going on? So um, a lot of confusion for that first 24 hours. And then I just remember, and I really, I, I, I'll always remember this, and I miss this, is that the next day throughout, you know, the next few months, people, it was just, Everyone came together. It was All so right. patriotic. People had flags everywhere, everywhere you know, yeah. put it on their car. Yeah, it was just, it was really great with, from that, you know, obviously not the, the tragedy, but, like, right. afterwards, it was just, like, <clears throat> nobody cared who, what side of the aisle you were on or whatever. Everyone was just, you know, you're American. We got attacked, and, like, you know, gloves are off. <laughs> um, so that was really cool. Like, that, that atmosphere of, like, you know, just everyone being so patriotic and really like, you know, I don't know. It seemed like what was important, which is our nation, was was at the forefront of everyone's brain. So, yeah, that, that's definitely like the. So I was in uh, sixth grade when that happened. Um, <laughs> so you know, I was thirteen, twelve or thirteen, 
and you know i was i was definitely i mean i, I remember it clear as day i remember what i was wearing and all that but i definitely i felt like i was too young to like understand like the gravity of the situation yeah. Um, but I, I do definitely remember, so I'm from a shore town in New Jersey. I could see the Lower East Side from like the boardwalk in my town. Right. Um, so, you know, everyone obviously left school and, and we all went down to the boardwalk and we, you know, we could see that kind of iconic picture of like the smoke going over the Hudson. Yep. But I, I definitely agree, you know, the, the thing I do remember most is, is like the days after, um, which was definitely, you know, something I feel like we're missing nowadays. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I swear to God, there was not a car that didn't have the American flag on it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it was, like, the, the magnet decals that, you know, you stuck on the side of your car, like, just the window flags. I mean, it was just everywhere, and it was just awesome. <laughs> it, it, it's cool to hear that that kind of, like, you know, stretched all the way even down to, to California. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was everywhere. It was just, you know, it's the way it should be. I think my personal opinion, but so did that that, um change uh like your your next duty station at all for you like you know the the one person I had on here um H1 uh, O'Hara he was like in he was in core school and like the instructor came out and was like you know every male you're going to FMTB um did you have any did your did your next duty station kind of get deterred or or anything like that because of this you know what was going on so it didn't. Um, so I, I had just gotten there. I was only at SARS for a year at that point. Um, so I still had two years left there. And I, I actually, that's when I applied for MESA, is out of rescue summer school. So I didn't go to another duty station as a corpsman after that. Um, and by that point, I extended an extra year at rescue summer school for my package. Um so I was there for four years and by 2004. I mean, we were well deep into the wars, but right. um, I had they weren't like shutting down commissioning programs or anything like that. So I. Huh. So that's the uh, that's the nursing one, right? Yeah. So how did um, that's like different than like state 21 and stuff? Are you are you still like active duty when you when you do that one or? Yeah, it's very similar to state 21. The only difference is State 21 requires you to go to a ROTC school, and they give you a $10,000 stipend for school. So with MESAP, you you can go to any school with a nursing school, but mm-hmm. you have to pay for it. <laughs> oh, wow. But you get paid you get paid all of your pay. So, like, I got paid. I was an HM2 at the time, so I got paid, you know, my regular paycheck plus my BAH. Um, my, it, it was just like you're PCSing to your college. Gotcha. So, did you um were you able to use your GI Bill for that or no? So I was and I, I had to because I didn't you know couldn't really <laughs> pay out of pocket for school. So because you it's a weird thing I'm active duty but they won't allow you to use TA for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will allow you to use your GI Bill. But when you use your GI Bill when you're active duty you lose a lot of money because you don't get the like BAH or anything like that. You get only what the tuition costs. Right. So, yeah. I ended up having to use it, but I lost a lot of money. <laughs> so, uh, um, did that take you three or three or four? Because you have to go to school like year round, right? You're not allowed to take off like summers, like traditionally. Right. So, I did a program at UNLV, Las Vegas. I went back to Las Vegas because when I was still a resident of Nevada, and it was cheaper. I'm from there. Um, the school itself is not that costly, so 
<laughs> like this is a win-win situation. <laughs> um, their nursing program is actually really fast. So once you do all your prerequisites and you go to nursing school, they it's only 14 months to finish oh, wow. your nursing part. Yeah, where most schools are anywhere from two years to three years uh, for the nursing part. And then you still have to do your prerequisites to get there. So I started on my prerequisites once I figured this is what I want to do. And I actually didn't have all of the prerequisites for UNLV. So because they give you three years for MESIP, and because UNLV's program was only 14 months, I had, a, I had some extra time to make up some of that for my prereqs. And my first year was uh, just working on what I still needed for, for UNLV. So, so it worked you, out. You, you go for, it's, it's RN that you get out of that, right? Right. Okay. <clears throat> so what what was your first duty station after that? <laughs> so so I go from <laughs> flying at China Lake and wearing just, you know, flight suits all day long. <laughs> and then I go to rescue summer school, which is way even more relaxed. Your PT gear, your, you know, yelling at students, whatever. You know, we were kind of all on our own program as far as not not individually, but as, you know, a unit, we right. like we dictated our day. Yep. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um go to school in Vegas, you know, MESA, because I'm not at a Rachi school, I pretty much was on my own program for the two and a half years I went to school. Um, and then my first duty station is is Naval Medical Center in Balboa. <laughs> so, I so I go from, like, being kind of pseudo-military <laughs> to, like, bam, you're you're in the military again. And it, that, was, that was, that was a big culture shock. Um, I remember like trying to get my uniform straight. Like, I don't even know if my uniform's on right. Like, it was just because I hadn't worn one for so long. It was, you know, like getting my ribbons straight and whatever, and like feeling right. Um, we, you know, you do go to a, like a North North Fork in Knife School, sorry, um, in Rhode Island, but it's it's a laid back version of officer candidate school, I guess. Um, but I get to Balboa, and you know, immediately they put you on medical surgical floor which in my brain was like, oh, yeah, I should probably go right right to the ER because I was, you know, EMS before, as an ENT. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> Anything, what I've noticed is once you get commissioned, everything you've done before that kind of doesn't really matter to anyone. <laughs> so, um, you, you know, you kind of start out as the same as everybody else. And I did 18 months on med surge, working days, nights, days, nights. Um you know, you, yeah, you get your ass handed to you <laughs> for that first couple of years as a nurse. So. Did, did you enjoy kind of going from, you know, uh, you know, like the, the, the moto high speed kind of stuff, like, you know, with repelling out of helicopters and stuff like that to just working on like a ward? Did that like bother you in any kind of way? Or, I mean, you were doing what you, what you I, wanted to I, do. It's probably not the most like popular thing to say. I hated it. <laughs> I hated every second of my existence. Um, for those first 18 months because I just, it wasn't what I expected. I actually, you know, I thought going nursing was the, the, the right progression from what I was doing, but I didn't really know what nurses did. Like mm -hmm. I, cause I never worked in a hospital. I was always pre-hospital. So, um, it wasn't quite what I had in my head. <laughs> and again, like I thought I'd go to the ER when I end up on mid-surge, you know, I'm used to like, I, I don't do well inside buildings. So, um, I just felt very caged and, you know, not very happy and like just feeling very like discouraged. Um, 
actually thought at one point, because you have to do four-year payback when you do music. Mm -hmm. I was at 10 years when I got commissioned, so I was at 10 years when I got to Balboa, and I, you know, 14 years would have been when my payback was done, and I honestly, like, for those first two years, like, I'm done at 14, I'm going to punch out at 14 years, which is kind of silly, right? (laughs) You only have six years left, but that's kind of how, like, unhappy I was (laughs) at that point, so... Um, I thought that every day for 18 months, and, you know, I, I didn't walk around with that attitude. Like, I wasn't disgruntled. I didn't have a bad attitude. I kept a smile on my face, and I'm always the type of person, wherever I am, I'm going to give you 100%. You know, even if I'm miserable, I'm going to give you 100%. So I don't think that, you know, how I felt inside translated um, because my leadership, you know, they took care of me. So obviously I was doing something right. You know, I wasn't bitching about it. I wasn't, I, I bitched to my peers, but, you know, I wasn't going into, like, my division officer's office and just complaining all the time. So, um, after 18 months, I asked to transfer. I had been, I had just had my second child, and I was pregnant with my third, back-to-back pregnancies, which was, you know, just made everything else great. So, <laughs> um, it was, it was a very trying time, but I was, pregnant back-to-back with the two. I asked to go to one of the clinics in the hospital to just sort of like, can I just take a breather because I've been doing six weeks a day, six weeks a night, like back and forth. I'm trying to raise, you know, not only my oldest, but I have two little kids now, a baby, infant, I'm pregnant. Like it was just, you know, can I just please go? (laughs) I just need to like regroup and, you know, figure things out. So I got sent to one general surgery, and I ended up, which was actually really good because I ended up being a conscious sedation nurse there. So you learn a lot about how to put people, you know, not in a, I mean, it is anesthesia, but you're not an anesthesiologist, but you do learn a lot of those concepts because it's, it was like we did a lot of colonoscopies, so we were trained to give you a cocktail that would put you down and you'd forget about it. So. Right. Um, that actually came in handy later down the years <laughs> um, to know how to use those medications and be comfortable with it. And uh, and also with my med surge years, you know, it, looking back on it now, yes, I was miserable when I was doing it, but looking back on it now, it was a good foundation for me as a nurse to learn um, not only, like, how to prioritize, but, you know, the different medications, how to take care of patients, how to have... 15 different things going on at the same time and dealing with it. So um, I tell a lot of the junior nurse, because I don't think you'll ever talk to a nurse who's in med surge starting out their career and have them say that they're happy. <laughs> like, you can go do a poll at San Diego or Norfolk or Bethesda, and I'm pretty sure you're going to get the same answer from all of those med surge nurses. So <laughs> um, what I tell them is, like, I know I've been there. I know what you're feeling. I know exactly what you're thinking. But... Just take it for what it is and really learn because you will use this later on in life. So it's kind of would there my... um, would there have been a route or or were, were you even thinking about you know kind of before you applied for the nursing program to maybe uh, like keep on doing what you're doing with like the SAR community but like going as an IDC was that something that that or that you were um, that maybe crossed your mind at all or, or did you know that you wanted to you know just do the nursing thing? Um. I thought about the IDC thing, but I, you know, as everything else with, with most of the Corman NECs, you're not set up for afterwards. And, you know, at the time I just had my first daughter. So I was like, I got to do something 
that's going to give me job security. <laughs> you know, something that I can I can raise my daughter. You know, if I got out tomorrow, I'd have a good job. I'd have a good paying job. Um, you know, being IDC, yes, you get great education, but it it certifies you for nothing right. when you leave. You know, just like everything else, and it's that's again another disservice to the corpsman is that you know what are we doing? Like that's that's not okay. So, um, I kind of looked at all that stuff. I, you know, honestly, my personality would be more towards that IDC side of things, but. I was thinking responsibly <laughs> at the time, and I knew, you know, at the time there was a huge nursing shortage, so I was like, I can pretty much go anywhere, because quite honestly, every single duty station I've been to, I had always said, this is my last one, I'm getting out <laughs> after this, which is funny, 23 years later, but, um, you know, I, I, I just always in the back of my head thought I would be getting out at some point, I need to have a job, I need to be able to raise my child and put food on the table or whatever, so... Nursing just kind of seemed more of that, like, logical choice, I guess. But, again, didn't really know what I was getting into <laughs> at the time. So is was there a way for you to, um, like, go back to that kind of community after the hospital? With flying? Mm-hmm. So that was the thing was like, how do I, how do I get out there and, you know, jump out of a helicopter? I realized very quickly that Carmen and doctors have all the fun. <laughs> the nurses really, we don't really have a lot out there that's like, you know, with, with you guys, you can go with the Marines, you can do this, the doctor, same thing, dive, seals, EOD, whatever. Nurses were kind of like, oh, hospital. <laughs> you have a couple of things like, yeah, you could be on the ship or whatever. So I was kind of looking at everything. Um, it was 2008 or nine. 2009 is when I was due to transfer. I still, I kind of thought CRNA was always in the back of my head. So I was like, oh, I kind of want to do CRNA. So I transferred to, I went from San Diego to Pendleton. And you have to write a letter saying what, kind of what your goals are and where you're, you're thinking your direction is. And I, I put CRNA down. Uh, which put me in the ICU. I honestly didn't think, like, I'd ever be able to be operational or any of that because, you know, again, nurses don't really have a lot of billets for that. So, um, and then the Navy doesn't have a flying program for officers. So it was kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of stuck doing this. So CRNA, whatever. So I ended up in the ICU. Um, and right at that moment, because it was like the end of 2009, a couple months later, Haiti happened. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. So, big earthquake in Haiti. I just literally got there October. They sent me to NTTC November, come back. Um, you know, then it's the holidays. January 12th is when the earthquake happened. I know that because it was my son's first birthday. Um, that was a Tuesday. I was doing night shift Wednesday. Thursday, I was supposed to do a night shift. And I wake up from my nap before I go to work. And I have, like, all these phone calls from my division officer and department head. So I call them back, and they're like, hey, don't come into work tonight. And I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, my God, does something happen to me? Because they're like, be here tomorrow morning at 0730. I'm like, oh, my God, did I call my patient last night? <laughs> like, what's going on? And they're like, well, you've been reading, you know, the newspaper and listening to the news, right? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you know, the earthquake. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, you're, you're going to go to Haiti probably tomorrow. This is Thursday. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, 
okay, it's Thursday. I'm going to Haiti tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, that's the plan. And I'm like, one, I don't think the Navy moves that fast, but two, I, okay. (laughs) You know, so I, you know, meanwhile, I have a son that just turned one. I have a daughter that just turned two and then I have my eight year old and I'm kind of thinking, you know, my husband was like, he's active duty at the time and, you know, he's on sea duty. So like, uh, I call him up. I'm like, I, I think I need to go to Haiti tomorrow. <laughs> he's just like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, they just said I'm going to Haiti tomorrow. <laughs> he's like, well, can't you get out of it? I was like, well, no, in the, you know, in the military, you can't get out of it. Well, you know, turn to find out that, you know, people were getting out of shit, but you know, I, I've never kind of operated that way. So I was like, no, I can't get out of it. Um, anyway, it turns out like the show Friday morning, they, the CEO comes down and talks to us and they're like, okay, you're not leaving today, but you're going to be leaving in the next 24 hours, um, 24 to 48 hours. And that being, we left, I think it was Saturday. Um, we kind of scrambled to get some kind of uniforms cause we knew we were going to one of the, the warships, LHD out there. Mm-hmm. So we needed to have some, you know, most of us have like only been in hospitals, so we didn't have like, you know. At the time, it was the, the shipboard khakis or uh, any type of, like, camis or anything like that. So um, they opened up a warehouse with, like, all these old, like, the really old jungle camis, <laughs> like, the green and, like, you know, freaking... Like the, the tri-camis, not even, like, the digital ones? Yeah, they weren't digital at all. It was, like, the <laughs> old, old-school ones. <laughs> so we, they had, like, a huge warehouse of that. So we grab all these and, like, just wear these, whatever, you know, who cares? Um, so end up flying to, you know, and then it was like, well, how long are we going for? And they're like, well, plan on six months. I'm like, so you want me to leave tomorrow for a six month of, okay, whatever. (laughs) Just like, you know, there's a part of me that was like, oh shit. And then there was the other part of me, which, you know, the part of me that likes to jump out of helicopters and planes that was like, this is awesome. So, um, yeah, so we found ourselves at, we flew to Guantanamo. And, you know, because it was so disorganized, we ended up on the floor at the airport for like a day and a half because apparently the ships didn't know we were coming (laughs) and nobody had anything set up. Um, Long story short, I did end up in Haiti. We did all of the traumatic, like all the surgeries, all these people. There's so many people out here. It was utter chaos. Um, We ended up there for three months. And then... I came back. And so one of the things my division officer told me was, if you if you agree to this, if you don't give us any hassle about leaving and like this short notice, then this will count as your deployment for the year. So at the time, again, the operational temple was like out the roof, right? right. It was 2010, Iraq's happening, Afghanistan's happening, now the earthquake happened. So like everyone, like if you were in, you were deploying at some point. So, um, you know, they try to go like one deployment a year. So if you went on a deployment, you, it kind of gave you a year after that to, to sort of relax and, you know, recuperate, whatever. Um, so she was like, regardless of how long this is, you know, this will count towards your year because you're, you know, totally being a trooper and you're like getting on a plane 24 hours. You know? I was like, all right, cool, whatever. So I come back after three months and I'm still training to be an ICU nurse, by the way. I wasn't an ICU nurse because I'd only been there like a month. <laughs> Um, which, by the way, when I was on the baton with Haiti stuff, I was acting as an ICU nurse. So I'm literally in the books trying to figure out ventilators and dopamine drips and propofol, shit <laughs> I never touched before. Running codes on my own because everybody was so spread out on the ships. There wasn't a doctor overnight, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it was just a very, like, you know, feet to the fire type of 
uh, situation. Were you guys on the ship the whole time, or did, did you, like, get off and set up, like, a base camp kind of thing, like, on, on the actual island? There was, there were camps, um, I think most of the NGOs have the camps on the island, but we did get off, and we did, like, a, um, I can't even think of the word right now, but we did, like, a shot X, and so we went to a, a okay. local school, and then, you know, gave shots to all the guys and stuff, or whatever, so, um, so I did get off for, it was, like, a second, but, yeah, for the most part, I was on the ship the whole time. Which was new to me. I'd never been on a ship before, so that was my first taste of, you know, ship. <laughs> ship life, whatever. Um, so, yeah, so then I come back after three months, and with Pendleton, because Pendleton is so small, the ICU is very, very, very small, we would do our ICU training at Balboa. So, technically, before I went anywhere as an ICU nurse, I was supposed to go to Balboa for six weeks to actually learn how to be an ICU nurse. Um, so I come back and be like, okay, now we're going to send you... <laughs> to learn how to be an ICU nurse. I'm like, oh, thanks. That would have worked out well, if, you know, before the deployment, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm down there for like, I want to say like two weeks, and I get a call from my division officer, and she's like, hey, we got this tasker. <laughs> I was just like, no, 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 no. Like, you did you so said... <laughs> well in the first one. <laughs> I was like, you said that if I went to Haiti, you were going to like leave me alone. She's like, I know, but we don't really have anybody else. <laughs> I'm like... Like, what, I'm the only nurse in the Navy that can deploy right now? <laughs> this is crazy. So, um, so yeah, so she's like, it's Afghanistan for 10 months. And I'm like... <laughs> it's lovely this time of year. Yeah, I know. It's like, all you can do is laugh at that point, right? So I was back for, like, I don't know, three months, and here I go again. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm not even trained. As a, they cut my training short about Boa to come back to start getting my shit together to go... Um, we did our pre-deployment training in Okinawa <laughs> for 30 days, come back to California, and then fly around the world again to Afghanistan. It was very interesting. So I'm, I'm there, you know, doing the whole thing. We were, you know, usually those deployments were six months, but we were in this weird, like, little team that was pulled from all over the world, and there's just, a, you know, like, just a bunch of us, and then we, we were there for 10 months, so... Go figure if I get the lucky, <laughs> the short straw on that one. Um, and then it was, you know, so we're with the Marines. We're with 1st Medical Battalion, and we're part of this shock trauma platoon slash Friss, but we're kind of not attached. So the company that was out there was initially Charlie. So we start with them, and then they go home, and then Alpha comes out, and then we finish with them. But we were never really attached to, like, any company ourselves, so... We kind of were like this entity that went all over Helmand to like different fobs and combat outposts. Um, so you weren't and, you weren't like stuck like on one of the big bases. You kind of moved. You guys like moved around. A yeah. Lot. Oh yeah, we moved around a lot. Um, I actually didn't. That was August. I didn't unpack my bags until like February. <laughs> like I was moving around so much, so I just kept everything packed. Um, and then I was, you know, so they go out there and they. They, they knew at this point we have this problem with in route care because, you know, now we've got these critical patients, dust offs turning it down um, as far as the medics. So we're throwing all these nurses on the back of these helicopters, which is a whole other story in itself. Um, <laughs> and so when we were starting out, they asked, like, who wants to fly? And, you know, okay, well, I was a prior crewman, so hey, <laughs> you know. And I kind of thought, like, I've been hearing about this flying stuff. I'm like, oh, I totally want to fly. Um, I thought, like, oh, I'm going to have to fight everybody to fly. Everyone's going to want to fly. Well, I, like, raised my hand and kind of look around. Like, nobody else has their hands raised. I'm like, 
there's probably a reason for that, but you know what? Because I think I can do anything on the Sims in my memory. So <laughs> I became the like primary in route care nurse during that time in Helmand Province. <laughs> and we were I remember being at this very remote it was a combat outpost. It was near Pakistan and um, we were kind of sitting around for two weeks and weren't really doing a lot. And suddenly we get this, it was at a and I think, an army guy. Um, gets blown up, you know, missing a leg. And they call it in, and we were not happy for him, but happy that we were actually going to do something. <laughs> so, you know, all of us are like getting ready, getting, you know, got him in. We start doing the, the surgery, the damage control surgery, start resuscitating, clean up the stump, whatever. Um, I'm excited because I'm like, oh, I get to finally fly. This is cool. And then it kind of hit me because I was like, you know, being an air crewman, you're used to being part of a crew mm-hmm. and briefing and like, <laughs> like knowing what the plan is. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not part of it. I think, where the hell, where's the helicopter coming from? They're like, oh, it's coming from Dwyer. So it's like, oh, well, can I, can I talk to them? Or like, I said, I don't know what, who they are or what they do, you know, like what the capability is. Right. And they're like, no, you can't talk to them. So I'm like, Okay, and they're like, but don't worry, there's a medic on board. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it starts to hit me like, this is this kind of sucky situation going on here. Um, but we get him out of surgery, and, you know, he's on a vent. He's getting, I pushed those, all my sedation, and my paralytics, all that stuff. So I'm starting to do all that, and I'm packaging him up for transport. And I'm still like, this is, you know, like, you know, when the hair is in your neck, going, like, this is a really bad situation. <laughs> and I'm like... So I kind of was like, well, can I bring one of my corpsmen? And they're like, no. So I'm like, I'm going to be back by myself on the back of the helicopter. This guy's still, like, up and down, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just all over the place. He's lost tons of blood. And, like, you know, I'm infusing blood. Like, this isn't a stable patient at all. So they help, they're like, the helicopter's here. Like, we're going to meet him out there. So we go. We start walking out there. And my, my surgeon kind of pats me on the back and is like, good luck. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we start walking out there, and it's night to make it even better, you know. <laughs> the sun setting. I'm like, this is... I'm like, do they have gear for me? Like, what is going on right now? So I walk in there, and I'm like, as soon as we put the patient on the on board, I look at the, one of the cream, and I'm like, hey, like, I'm putting my ears. Like, where are my ears? And they're like, oh, we didn't bring you <laughs> So I'm like, I can't even communicate with a career. Like, okay. Um... And so then I was like, well, who's the medic on board? <laughs> the guy's like, oh, I don't do that shit. <laughs> he goes and sits in the, the left seat. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm, I'm literally by myself with this crashing patient in the dark. <laughs> and I'm about to transfer. I'm like, 45 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that was my first transport. Um, they dropped me off. It, it was Dwyer. I go in, give a terrible report. I, again, I'm, I'm just completely overwhelmed. I have no idea what's going on. Um, and as I and I even asked the crewman too. I said, "You're going to take me back, right, to my my the the cop?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, sure, whatever." <laughs> I go into the trauma bay to give a report, and they take off. And one of the surgeons is like, "Is that your ride?" I was like, "Uh huh, <laughs> sure was." <laughs> so now I'm stuck in the middle of you know Helmand Province. <laughs> No way to communicate with my unit or like anybody. Like no, and you know, with army there at the time, they don't give a shit about me. So they're just like, you know, I don't know, make your way up to the the ADAC where you catch the helicopters and see if they got something. Like, okay, so I'm like dragging on my gear. It's you know, 12 at night. It's freezing cold at this point because it's winter. And 
um, go up to this little shack of anything and like, is there any helicopters going to pain? <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> Just have a seat and fell, you know, it was like, all right. So yeah, it was like three in the morning, like freezing my ass off and Finally, there's some supply helicopter going over there. It was just, it was a mess. It was just, you know, it was one of those situations where you're like, how the hell, what did I do in life to end up in this situation? So, um, and, and, you know, surprisingly enough, we're still like with where it comes to interact care, we're still in the same situation. Like we have not learned from any of this. So, um, but yeah, so did a bunch of transports in Afghanistan and, it was great. Again, I like to live on the edge, so it was whatever. <laughs> so, so with those transports, was it you weren't going out to you know the to like the the battlefield to pick up these patients that you were there to receive them at like the fobs when they when the convoys would bring them back or whoever would bring them back to to the to the fob and then that's when you would get hands on them. Yeah, so we were part. So I I never did a point of injury um, when I was in Afghanistan. We were part of the. Uh, shock trauma platoon the first so damage control resuscitation uh, surgery they would have us you know they would move us to places that were close to like they knew like the operations and like what was going to be bad right. um, of course you could get anything at any time but they knew like when they were planning a big offensive attack or whatever like they would move us closer to that because they knew their potential for casualties were higher so uh, we kind of move all over but yes we would still be on either a combat outpost or a FOB um, and we had tents, and so we would receive them very quickly. I mean, you're talking only like 15 minutes, especially in Afghanistan, because the, the area of operation was very small, and the, you know, it wasn't like Iraq where you'd have like you know hours, but um, we would receive them like within minutes off of the battlefield, and then we would start our resuscitation. So, yeah, I was never, but it was never a point of injury. Because so again, just... point of it's so it's it's different, right? Point of injury is your T triple C concepts. So mm -hmm. tourniquets, stop the bleeding, you know, reinfuse, get an airway, get them off the battlefield, get them to the next echelon of care. Right. Just kind of put the a next echelon. What's that? I said you're just kind of putting a bandaid on the situation until. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were the ones that you were bringing it to, and the expectation is if they arrived to us alive, that they would go home. You know, like the gray area is from point of injury to us is that you know if they didn't survive. That was kind of the expectation. But if they made it to us, the expectation after that is that they would live. And the percentage is really good that they did live, you know, because we were so close to where they were actually getting injured. And then at that point, and this is where a lot of, like, big Navy Marine Corps has a hard time understanding this, especially if you've never been on the ground or if you are not an actual doctor, you know, because we have a lot of administrators. Um, at that point, once we resuscitate them, they are now a critical care patient. Mm -hmm. So, you know, dust off coming in expecting like, oh, there's still, you know, tourniquets <laughs> or what, you know, fluids is now, again, they're on a ventilator. They are intubated. They have blood going. They have medications going. They have, you know, invasive drips going, blah, blah, blah. This is all critical care medicine. And we're still transporting them. So if you don't know that, you don't have that knowledge, then you're useless. You know, you can't transport that patient. So um, that's and, – and and especially nowadays. So whose who's fight is it now? It's the operators, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got people on various continents and, and, and continents where you can't get to very easily. So you've heard about prolonged field care. Um, that's where all those concepts come into is that now they're critical patients that you have to hold on to or you have to fly 
and the operators have advanced skills to intubate and do all that stuff. You have to be able to carry on that same level of care. So, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure, um, do like the Army and, and Air Force platforms, like, you know, the, the air, the helicopters that are designated for that, do they, like, have, like, equipment on board too, like, you know, battery backups and, and, and ventilators yeah. and stuff like that on board to where I'm assuming we, ours doesn't because <laughs> we're just kind of a yeah. secondary thing? Exactly. Yeah. So their their helicopters are set up with all their gear and like all the stuff that they need, the batteries, the O2, all that stuff that that you know is required in a medevac. <laughs> it's like a Where flying, again, flying ambulance essentially. Yeah. So maybe Marine Corps were still just like it would be like you know if you're here stateside and you get hurt and some random vehicle shows up to transport you, <laughs> what do you need to get on that vehicle with your very injured patient? You know. Right. That's what we do because. <laughs> We like to fly those to different pants, apparently. So. so that's pretty yeah. much, I'm assuming you saw a lot of just IED attacks and, and uh, um, like bullet wounds and things like that, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of IED attacks, so a lot of missing limbs, um, and actually a lot of like vehicle rollovers, so uh, head trauma, pelvic injuries, that type of thing. And did you see the, so. the population as well, or were you guys restricted to just service members? No, we saw everything. Oh, okay. So I saw service members. We had AMA, AMP. We had pediatric population because the local population would hear that, oh, there's medicine, there's medical people. Mm-hmm. So they bring their, their kids and stuff to us. So like, hey, can you <laughs> – my kid's been burned for five months. Can you fix this <laughs> type of thing? So because, um, you know, it's, it's very, you know, very third world tribal country, especially in Helmand in the southern region. Um there's no like medicine or anything like that. So um, they would, you know, the word would get out and they would end up at the doorstep with our patients and we, and we don't turn anybody away. So um, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. Even though like it wasn't like the, you know, the, the best um, uh, con- conditions again, like, you know, not always having the proper procedures on, on, on having the people you may need and stuff like that. But did you feel much like, you know, more in your element, like being, doing stuff like that as a nurse as, as like an officer on the, on the officer side now yeah that's so again that's you know I, I think I tend to work better under stress like extreme stress <laughs> so I just I don't know like I felt when I was in the hospital I just didn't feel very challenged and you know being out there again the play like yeah it was very challenging I, I felt like I was constantly using my brain and you know, that and, and physically, you know, like, it was just the all-around stuff that I like. So, yeah, I that was Afghanistan, um, Haiti. Like, those were all, like, you know, and then I turned around and, and deployed again after that on a Westpac. Um, but oh, wow. being out there is when you really feel like this is what I'm here for. You know, if you're a military nurse, you, the expectation is you're going to do military things, not be at a hospital doing, you know, because our hospitals is, like, really no different than being at like a civilian hospital so um you know all of us who who sign up want to be out there (laughs) being in the mix of things for the most part not everybody but you know that's that's what you do it for so so the the westpac so did you do the the full 10 months there like like they said or yep Mm -hmm. i did and then i (laughs) came back and i was i was starting to cough for orders and again like I was like I cannot go back to a hospital so (laughs) 
I started investigating like what else is out there. And so for the nurses, like the few fun things are like the shipboard stuff. So I started looking at what's called a fleet hospital or um, a fleet hospital, a fleet surgical team. So those are on the LHDs. Okay. And it's a small team made of a surgeon, a critical care nurse, a bunch of corpsmen, um, anesthesia. Uh, but you're basically the level two on the ship, so you can do the surgery part of it. And each LHD has one of those teams. And so I saw, um, I called the detailer and was like, what's the possibility of this? And I'm sorry, I didn't actually. No, it wasn't FSC. I was looking at, so our operational billets were Marine Corps. So you can go to 1st Med Battalion. You can go to MLG. You can go to FST. Uh, you can be a carrier nurse. And then you can also be... Um, there was one position that was NEMTI, which is a, a Pendleton. It's a training command, but it was considered for nurses, operational, whatever. Right. So it's actually, so first off, I was looking at the operational stuff, and you know, I originally wanted to go with First Medical Battalion because I just come back off of deployment with him. I was taken from the hospital, but I was attached to First Medical Battalion. So I was like, well, I already know all this stuff. Like, can I? Is, what's the possibility of going there or to NEMTI, which is a training command, and they don't deploy because I kind of need a breather right now. <laughs> and so she was like, she was like, um, yeah, like go ahead and you know put your because we had to apply for those. So I was like, go ahead and put your package in, and you know there's a board that meets, blah blah blah. So I was thinking, she's like, yeah, I think the NEMTI thing, the instructor thing, would be great for you. I was like, oh, awesome, cool. So kind of had my sights set on that. And then I get an email after the board met saying, you know, congratulations, you've been assigned to FST. <laughs> so that's what I was like, the hell is this? Like, in ship, I want to go, I just came off a deployment with the Marines. Like, I know the Marine stuff. And they're like, yeah, but this is a great billet. So I started looking into it. I'm like, well, yeah, this doesn't seem too bad. So um, I called the guy that's on the ship that I'm about to replace, and he was like, oh, God, I'm glad you're coming because we're about to deploy. <laughs> You know, granted, I just came back from Afghanistan, so I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so um, they actually pulled me early, like nine months early, to go to that team so I could go on that deployment so he didn't get stuck on it. So, yeah, Haiti, Afghanistan, and then OSPAC, back to back to back. Jesus. Um, needless to say, my youngest had no idea who I was when I came back from all of that, so that was great. Uh but yeah, I mean, you know, as far as like experience and uh, professionally, it was the best thing that happened to me. I hit literally every single platform that a nurse can do in the military within two and a half years. So, um, you know, humanitarian, Marines, and then off with uh, the blue side ships. So, you know, can't really complain, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely awesome, to, especially in that short of a time to be able to, to do all of that. <clears throat> um, all the different platforms. What, what, was, what would you yeah. say is your your favorite one? I'm assuming like the the green side. What's <laughs> like like my favorite was green side. Oh yeah, yeah, 100. That was I got to fly. I got to do. I mean, I got to fly off the ship too. So we also like anybody who got hurt. We were the ship to shore um, transport. So I did get to fly, but it was just I came from Afghanistan with the Marines. I went to on the ship. There really isn't a lot going on when you're on the ship. Sure. <laughs> so. It just, I went from like 100 to zero. So I just kind of was like, uh, this is not very exciting. Um, but yeah, definitely, I, I would say the most challenging was with the Marines just because, you know, you got kind of thrown to the fire and 
I didn't really know what we were doing or, you know, what my job was, you know, kind of had to figure it all out as I went, but um, I got to fly a lot, so, you know, I, anything in the air for me is is fun regardless of <laughs> how crappy it is, so, yeah, so definitely the, the Marines in. So the, the Afghanistan deployment was, you said, like 2010? Yep. And then you did, did you do like a full three-year tour on, on that ship, or did you just... Um, so, so it was Haiti, the beginning of 2010, Afghanistan went 2010 to 11. And then I transferred to FST right at the end of 2011, uh, into 2000. And then that's, those are two year orders. And then my deployment was right when I transferred, um, into 2012. And then I was on that team until 2000 early 2014 so like a year and a half after getting back from deployment so um so i mean you're pretty what? deep into like you know your the the um into like your your officer career now is there any more um like room for you to even go like into those kind of billets anymore or because i know once well you i'm actually kinda... oh, I'm, sorry. I'm with the marines right now so oh, okay. i i took another i after fst i went to balboa i went back to the balboa um you know, I spent three years kind of miserable again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was great because I, I ended up going to the ER, so it was a little bit of change of pace, which I, I just feel more at home in the ER than the ICU. So spent three years there. Um, ended up getting promoted. I thought I was going to retire out of there, but got promoted to 04, um, so decided to take the promotion. And I thought I was just going to extend at Balboa and meet the commitment for the rank. But then one of my captains was like, hey, there's a bunch of billets that are dropping at uh, 1st Medical Battalion. So having just come off into operational tour, I didn't think the detailer was going to let me go back. But she was like, oh, I just got all these billets. You know, yeah, sure, you can go back to, <laughs> you can go back to the Marines at 1st Medical. I was like, really? Okay, so... Ended up taking those orders, and I thought, okay, yeah, I get to deploy again. Because, like, you know, although we don't have a lot going on right now, we do still have, like, special mag tasks and, and muse and stuff going out. Right. So I thought, you know, for sure I was going to be able to turn around and deploy again. But then the whole in-route care problem came up. I kind of am the last man standing with all the flying stuff and, you know, with experience. Because, like, everybody else who had done it before me, had either gotten out or they've retired or they just moved on with their life and want nothing to do with it. So um, I've sort of kind of been this person now with the Navy that I'm like the subject matter expert in all things flying medical anyway. So my CEO was like, you're not going anywhere. You're going to figure out this problem. <laughs> so the last two years for me at Medical Battalion has been uh, focused on rock care, which is kind of second best to deploying because this is what I love. So if I can figure out problems and make it better for the people that are coming up behind me, then, you know, so be it. So, so I definitely feel like you have the kind of like a, like when I was scrolling through your, your Instagram, that's why like I, I kind of asked you, like I wasn't really sure if you were still in or not. If, like I yeah. feel like you kind of like a, like a, <laughs> like a, a Tim Kennedy thing going to where you're doing like a lot on the outside, but like you're still, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was confusing. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm very confusing. Um, no, I'm, I'm one of those people that can't sit still. So so it's twofold. One of my things is that the Navy doesn't really have a sustainment program. So if I want to, if I want to call myself a resident expert in anything, I in my mind, I better be an expert in it, right? Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a war going on. There really is no flying anymore. So I need to figure out other means 
to keep myself in the air and to like continue with my skills. So I'm just, I'm a very like proactive person. I'm very into the whole networking and that type of thing. And I just started reaching out to different agencies. So one of them, and I actually have a good friend that's LA Sheriff's, um, their rescue helicopter is with the Special Enforcement Bureau, which is basically like their SWAT team. Um, mm-hmm. So I reached out to him like, hey, can I get on the helicopter? <laughs> He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> They're pretty laid back. Um, and they know my history. So they know that like I'm not just some nurse that's, you know, out of a hospital. Like they know I've been out there. I've flown. I, you know, I'm comfortable in the aircraft or whatever. So they're like, yeah, you can fly with us. So I've been flying with them. And then uh, because I am retiring in January, I started looking around at jobs and Mercy Air came up. Um, my intention was to start working for them in January, but I kind of jumped the gun with it. So I'm kind <laughs> of an employee of theirs <laughs> right now, which I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to do all this. But uh, they had, you know, they sent me to their training in Denver just recently, and that's been like phenomenal training. So um, yeah, so that's kind of why you see me popping up in different. <laughs> agencies and locations um but yeah i'm always reaching out to like anyone who's at like a helicopter like hey <laughs> can i fly with you so so uh, were you trying to like um when you were going out and flying with the with like different agencies was it more so to kind of see how they were doing things to bring it back to the navy kind of like you're saying as like the subject matter expert to kind of you know uh, take lessons from them and, and kind of maybe implement them or was it just oh kind- yeah so like what i so my specific focus right now is training my corpsmen and the nurses in all things flying. So that's the thing. Like I just, you know, again, like you're saying, I continue to learn and I'm learning from all these different agencies and, you know, I, I, I always go back and we just start training, you know, with anything new that I've learned with, with the different agencies. So yeah, absolutely. That's good right. that you're trying to keep, you know, the, cause I definitely feel like the military goes in like ways and, and, you know, when, when we need stuff, that's when we ramp it up. And then when we don't need it, you know, we, we drop down on those trains and things like that. And then when a situation arises, now no one knows what's going on. So right. I, I definitely feel like that's one thing that, like, you know, the Navy needs to work on is is staying, like, consistent in, in those important skills that, again, we may not need, at, you know, at peacetime or, or when not a lot of stuff's going on. But, I mean, obviously right. we know, especially being in the 17-year war, that those things are important when we need them. So, that's um right. I'm I'm kind of I'm you know happy that you're uh, trying to to keep that important. <laughs> yeah, and that's you know training is 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 huge with me, and and it's a lot. It stems from you know my lessons learned when I was doing it. Is that you know this isn't right. We shouldn't be just throwing people. The helicopter is a very very unique environment. You don't have all your resources. You can't hear anything. You might not be able to see things. You know, and I'm and I'm transporting this patient by myself. Like. We would never ask anyone in the ICU to code a patient in the dark without being able to hear with nobody else around them, <laughs> you know, but mm-hmm. yet we seem to do that with the helicopter stuff. Um, so my thing is training. Like, I, I've never been, like, a career quote-unquote person. I don't really, like, as a matter of fact, my boss is probably dying right now because I owe him fit rep bullets, <laughs> like, two weeks ago, and I haven't done it, you know. So it's like I've never done anything for me or the fair because I knew like having been enlisted having been you know officer I was going to retire regardless like there was no I didn't have to get promoted I you know 
Right. It's automatic to lieutenant, so I I knew like regardless, I'm gonna retire. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. concerned about making go for the next rank or the next rank. Like it's it's I I never was like that even when I was enlisted. I don't care about that. Like I, I care about being an expert in my job, training people when I can. You know, like whatever I know, I'm gonna give you all of my knowledge. Um, that's all I care about. And if you kick me out because I didn't promote, then so be it. <laughs> you know, I'll figure it out. Like it's okay. That's that's not my priority. And Again, not the most popular answer, you know, because they all want you to sort of like, oh, make sure you take care of your career. And yes, that's important. That's not to say, you know, ignore your career, but, um, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, what's important to you? And for me, it's it's training, absolutely, 100%. So, um, and I, I, I am totally against not preparing people for their job. And I feel like the Navy as a whole does that to, to Corman a lot, you know, the expectation of a 19 year old to go out with a division, you know, or unit, whatever, and, and be able to take care of trauma without ever seeing it before is just fascinating. Like that's just ridiculous to me. So, So, you know, (laughs) one, um, one, one kind of gripe that I have, um, and and I I would kind of like to hear your input on it because it's something that I complain about a lot. Um, again, coming from, the, the submarine force pretty much um navy is the only rate that i really see minus like yeoman that your l that you pretty much go to a shore duty right at a school every other rate you go operational at a school no ifs ands or buts and i think that's that's a big problem because when i was at the clinic in king's bay i was only there for a year and a half because uh, uh, you know i called my detour and, and asked to rotate early because again i just couldn't stand sitting behind a desk doing phas all day um, right. But the biggest problem I saw there with like younger corpsmen was they would go to core school. Again, they're 18, 19 years old. They don't, you know, they need they need a little motivation in life to, to kind of direct them to where they want to go. But all they do is just sit there and take blood pressures, and then they right. get and they get out because that's what they think it is. You know, there's not a yeah. lot. Of, at least in the clinic, like in Kings Bay, there wasn't a lot of reenlistments and 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 stuff like that. People would just go there and they hated it and they thought that's what it was as first session sailors and they would get out. I think if, but again, I feel like it's hard because there's a lot more shore duty bullets than there is sea duty bullets for corpsmen. But I just think that that that's a big problem. It within as yeah, a for sure. It is, and that's and that's where you know I was really sad to see like the EMT stuff go and you know all that pre-hospital stuff go because that's really like you know, your main mission when you're deployed is it's all pre-hospital. You have to be able to do an assessment. You have to be able to you know, look at your patient and and kind of get an idea of what, <laughs> what's going on or where they are, you know, um, along with the skills to keep them alive. So um, without having everybody else around. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, back again when Afghanistan and Iraq started, like you were going to deploy. That was, that was a fact, <laughs> you know, it was just a matter of when, but Every time we come into like this peacetime mode, especially for the corpsmen, and because we have these huge military um, medical facilities to to maintain, you know, we get stuck with that this almost the civilian aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know with the takeover, DHA is taking over uh, the like all the medical stuff or whatever. Right. Um, they want to focus more on the operational part for military. So what does that mean? Does that mean they're going to civilianize the hospitals, which there's been a lot of talk of that? 
and then start pushing military out to start training. Um, also, you know, like they've been talking about like the trauma centers and stuff like that. So the the previous NDA that just came out in 2016, I want to say, um, states that we're all supposed to be in trauma centers. <laughs> but the people who, you know, get that stuff in place just have not, you know, they've been kind of dragging their feet. And that's, you know, goes along with, again, a lot of my posts. Well, I'm just going to need to... You know, I'm pretty well known in my community, so I'm just going to talk about it and kind of force that hand <laughs> as much as I can, you know, um, that, hey, you know, we're, we're looking at you. We know what the problem is, and you're dragging your feet. So, like, fix this. Do something about it. Um, yeah, so I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I don't really have an answer for that because, you know, when there's no war, there's really nothing... You know, if you're if you're not with the Marines um, or on the ships directly, it kind of isn't. Hey, you know, the only places for us to go really are, I guess, the hospital. So, so I guess um, I mean, we've pretty much covered you know most of your career. Um, kind of going back to how how you said you know you're pretty well known within your command. Uh, I'm curious on, because um, it's, it's how I found you, how did you uh, end up getting a, a shout-out by Dakota Meyer on Instagram? Because, that, again, that's how I, that's how I found you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. He started he started following me, like, maybe like a month ago. Um, and I didn't even notice that he was following me <laughs> until he, like, he liked some of my pictures. And I... I was like, oh shit, that's like, you know, there's the blue like check mark or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, what the, what is that? And I like looked at the kind of mind, I'm like, holy shit. And then I was kind of like, is this the real one or is this like a fake account? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, so I was kind of like, okay, whatever. And then I posted a story or on my story and it was something with, with like my weight or whatever, like some crossbow thing. And he, and he messaged me and was like, oh, you know, that's awesome. And so I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I even said to him, I was like, I had to do a double take. <laughs> and he's just kind of laughing at me. Um, and then we just kind of were talking back and forth about, like, just random stuff. And uh, we started talking about, like, skydiving. And he wants to get into skydiving. So um, he actually, actually, next week, we're going to be skydiving together. Oh, wow. That's awesome. uh, here in San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so that kind of, like, we just, you know, chat every now and then back and forth. He kind of set up the whole skydiving thing uh, for next weekend. We're going to get certified for, like, AFF or solo. And uh, I posted that one picture. Um, I had, I wasn't there. I was talking to one of my captains about training, and, you know, I was talking, it was one of, actually, the MAW surgeons. Uh, we are talking about his corpsman that's going to flight medic, and I, again, get very passionate about this subject, and... He's kind of new to the game, so I was trying to explain to him, like, why I'm so passionate with training, and this is, you know, this is important for these guys, like, this is a disservice to send them out, blah, blah, and he, you know, agreed with me, and I just, I don't know if I was having, like, an emotional moment, <laughs> but I grabbed that picture, and I just kind of wrote it all out, and it's kind of the same stuff I was talking to the captain about, and I don't know, it's funny, when you really feel something, it kind of translates over to people, and I... Obviously, like he saw it and was, re- I didn't expect him to repost it. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I didn't even notice. And like, I looked at my phone and I had like, I don't know, like one point it was like 600 new followers. And I'm like, what the hell happened? So, 
I saw that he reposted it, and then uh, North American Rescue reposted it, and then like all these other people were reposting, like, holy shit. <laughs> so that's kind of how that that came about. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's that, that, that's the post that I that I followed you off of. Where did you see it? Uh, on Dakota's page. That's the, and oh, okay. when you when posted it, and then I was like, oh, she, I was like, oh, she's a Sarcoiman, or was a Sarcoiman, because I was kind of going through your your page, and that's why I decided mm -hmm. to kind of reach out. It's funny how things like that work. Yeah, <laughs> it is funny. It's and it's it's kind of cool because like you know a lot of people. Like you know yourself and like some other people were kind of coming out of the woodwork, and I and I do get daily questions about like just being a nurse in the Navy, and then Star Corman questions, and then um, you know th the flight nursing in the Navy thing, and that's always a very difficult thing for me to answer because we don't actually have, you know, I, I get messages a lot like how do I become a flight nurse in the Navy, and I'm like it's not even a real thing. <laughs> so um, I just happened to be in situations where we had to fly, but there's no, like there's nothing in that, the Navy that says, um, other than we have this joint and route care school that we go to that gives you like, kind of like an AQD. Um, but it's not a job. Like you don't, you know, you don't go to a, a billet that's flying. Like it just happens to be one of those, like if you're with an operational billet and you, have the ability to fly, you're gonna fly. So there's, it's all luck or chance, like right you know. Right place, right time, kind of thing. Exactly. So it's it's so hard for me to answer those questions because it's like I know, like I've just been really fortunate, and you know, through my networking, I've been in positions to fly all the time. But there is no actual job that does that. <laughs> so yeah, it's confusing to people. So I always tell them, like, if you really want to fly, like, Air Force is the one who actually has flight nurses, that a designated job for it, you know, where that's what your title is. So, you know. So, so there's yeah. um, there, the uh, the main audience of my podcast are mainly Corman, because, um, again, that's pretty much all I, I really do interviews on, are, like, combat veterans. Um, I've had, like, one or two that, that really haven't been, but the majority have all been Corman. Um, mm -hmm. So just kind of, obviously, you, you know, you've been in, in the game for a while um, and, and starting out as a corpsman. What are some things that, you know, you would like to, some advice or, or um, that you that you think so every corpsman should hear, you know, young, um, you know, young corpsman, E1 through E3, or just some, some bit of advice that, you know, we could kind of take away um, from definitely all, all of the, the vast experiences that, you know, you've had. <laughs> Um, my advice is, it's go star Corman. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a huge advocate for that that community. <laughs> um, but really, like, if you want to fly, go star Corman. Um, what are my other advice is, one was the big thing, is don't take no for an answer. Don't be obnoxious about it and, like, F you type of personality, but, you know, make sure whoever you're asking knows what they're talking about. And if you don't feel like they know what they're talking about, get find the instruction. There's an instruction for everything. So find the instruction, you know, be that instruction Nazi. As far as, like, educating yourself within your, your job, your, your field, whatever it is, and become that resident expert. Because if, you, you know, if you can argue using, like, instructions for backup, nobody's going to argue with you. <laughs> You know, if you if you know your job, if you know like everything about it, then we had a guy that was a he was a rescue swimmer instructor with us, and he was just one of those guys. He had this brain that he just wanted to know all the instructions and SOPs and whatever, and he was very strategic about it. I didn't know. I thought he was just kind of a nerd, um, <laughs> but 
he used it because anytime anyone argued with him, like higher rank, he could shoot back, you know, nope, you're wrong because of this, this, and this. And then he kind of gained that reputation of, um, yeah, if I talk to this guy or if I challenge him, I better know my shit, you know? Hmm. So that's kind of that one thing is to like, to know what your job is and don't just use like hearsay, you know, actually know what your job is. Um, don't take no for an answer and get an education. <laughs> As of right now, you know, the Navy's just not really doing a good job with education for you guys or setting you up for the future, you know, whether that's to stay in the Navy or to get out. Um, so you kind of have to take that into your own hands. And I, and I did that as a corpsman too. I, I was going to school after work, you know, on my own with an infant, you know, with a husband that was deployed constantly. And I did it. You know, if you really want it, you'll do it. Um, this day and age, you're, you really can't do a whole lot without a degree. And I, I'm not one of those like, oh, you know, everything revolves around a degree. I don't believe that. But I have seen that that's what people think are important. And when you're trying to get a job <laughs> or trying to set yourself up, you know, you're kind of at their disposal. So um, I would say get a degree or, you know, work on your education. Work on an education that actually, like, translates over to something, too, because, a lot of people do stuff like psychology or um, business. It's very; those are very general topics that don't really translate over to much unless you get like a master's or a PhD or something like that. So, if you know, for one thing, if you wanted to stay medical, I would go like start working on like the PA route or the nursing route or MD route or something like that. Um, because although it is very fun to be a corpsman, and I loved being a corpsman. <laughs> You know, if you're trying to set yourself up for the future, there's not unless you're really like a career, you know, I'm going to stay enlisted, I'm going to make chief, senior, master chief, whatever. Um, you know, unless you're kind of that time, that, that mind frame, then, you know, work on your education. You can chip away at it. You know, at least if you don't know what you want to do, like start doing your general education stuff and, and get those out of the way. So sort of my, <laughs> those are my big points, I guess. All right. Well, I, you know, I appreciate all your time, ma'am. Um, I appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday, uh, you know, to, to kind of do this call with me. Um, it, it means a lot. I'm, I'm very happy that I really didn't think reaching out to you that, you know, I saw you had like almost 9,000 followers. So I was like, I'm sure her inbox is full <laughs> and she's never going to get to me. But uh, <laughs> I, um, I appreciate, really do appreciate you reaching back and, uh, and, and agreeing to do this, you know, uh, pretty much a couple of days after I've reached out. Um so, yeah, uh, no, thank you for asking. Uh, I would say definitely, you know, on, on behalf of a as a junior corpsman, thank you for, for kind of paving the way and, and, and doing what you did. Um, obviously, uh, you know, anyone who served overseas in, in any capacity is, is a hero in my book. Um, so, you know, definitely thank you thank for you. that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I hope we can keep in touch. I, I definitely love to bounce some questions off you, you know, you know maybe later on in my career. Um and uh, I just want to say thank you for this and, and obviously thank you for everything that you've done. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thank you for having me. And if anyone has questions after this, I know I was kind of talking a lot, but, you know, if anywhere in that people want to expand more on that, please let me know. And, you know, I'd be happy to, to talk to anyone. So.
Oh, oh, oh. 